So good morning, good morning, good morning. <clears throat> As she so eloquently I have a picture is the first slide, and I always start with this one um, because um, it's the best of me, which is the least of me. <laughs> but if you look, my wife is standing next to me there um, of 33 years. My wife and I met in church. I was a youth leader at Akron First Assembly of God, and the youth pastor came up to me and said, we got a couple of visitors, you need to go introduce yourself. So I walked back and introduced myself and sat behind her and stared at how pretty she was through the entire service. And she, it took a couple months, and it took a, a guest uh, speaker came. His name was Jack Glass, and he came, and he invited people to come to the altar to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How many people here believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost this morning? Amen? Amen. We both walked to the altar. Now, before this, I was the obnoxious teenager who was crushing pop cans with his head on the church bus. That was me. I, I was that guy. Um, and I'm not talking empty pop cans. I'm talking full pop cans. I would crush the, the, the shameful. I was an embarrassing young man. But we walked to the altar, and we stood at the altar, and we both received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And that morning, the Holy Ghost put these rose-colored glasses over my wife's eyes. And she turned and looked at me and thought, oh, he's kind of cute. And the reality is I'm not, and I know that, but the Holy Spirit is blinding her. So as long as she stays with Jesus, I think I'm safe. So that, that, that happened, I was 15, she was 16, we've been together ever since, the Holy Spirit has not let us separate. Um, uh, next to her in the picture, holding the little girl, that's my son, he is a, uh, an amazing young man, he's the uh, uh, executive pastor of the Tree Church, um, and he has this incredible vision of opening a barbershop and ministering to people through a barbershop. So right now he's taking time to go to barber college and he's going to get his barber license and he's going to open a God-fearing barber that you can go to and hear a, the, from, from a licensed pastor while he cuts your hair. You're going to get preached at the whole time. I love it. It's a great idea. I'm excited for him in this new venue. Um, but he and our youngest is all the way on this side standing next to the, the carrot top, which is her husband, Kyle. Uh, that's Mary. Those two work at the Tree Church, and they write all the worship music for the Tree Church. So if you're bored and you have access to Spotify or iTunes, you can look up Tree Church music. Those are my kids, and they are extremely gifted and very talented. On this end of it next to me is our oldest daughter, Macy. She uh, has her uh, uh, psych degree from Kent State University, and she's also a business owner. Now, my wife of 33 years, is also quite the entrepreneur. She owns her own business, so my, uh, our oldest daughter uh, works part-time with her on her business. So that's a snapshot now. I'm going to get to the good stuff now. See the three little ones? Those are my grandchildren. And let me tell you something. There's nothing better than being a grandpa, and I'll tell you why. There are no rules. There are no rules. Isn't that awesome? I get to give them suckers before dinner. I get to get the, the first thing out of their question when they see Papa is they come in and, Papa, can I have a lollipop? Absolutely. And their mom will be standing there, and she will look at me in all loving kindness and say they haven't eaten dinner yet. And I'm like, I promise, their little bellies, they can handle a lollipop before dinner. Papa doesn't say no. 
it's the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world, because I don't care if they're viable members of society later. I just want them to be spoiled, and that's the wonderful part of it. But uh, five-year-old Darby Kate, she's standing there, and they are three of the most different people you'll ever meet. They, uh, their mom sent us a, a message the other day, a little video, and she was playing music in her car, and Darby is conducting. She's got her eyes closed, and she's doing this to the music, and Sela, who is in... Um, her mom's arms there. That's our middle granddaughter, Sayla Joe, And uh, she is, while the music's playing, she's going rawr and making all these crazy. So in her, the music is angry and exciting and, and Darby's just feeling the rhythm. So they're just completely different people. It's so much fun to watch. And Myra is a, a little miniature version of her father. So he, she is rotten to the core and I love every minute of it. I love every minute of it. But that's my family. They're incredible people. They are uh, so much fun in spite of who they have as a dad. Uh, I had somebody come to me at the Tree Church, and they're like, your kids are amazing. How did you do it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Lots of prayer. Lots of prayer because, I, you know, they are awesome in spite of who we are. Um, uh, my daughter-in-law, all three of my kids married incredible people. My daughter-in-law is, is a registered nurse. Uh, she works at the NICU in Columbus. Um, uh, and my youngest, again, is the youth director at the Tree Church. So they are all very, very talented, very gifted people. And uh, I, I truly love, uh, love my family dearly. So this morning, as your interim pastor, I'm going to be with you for the next three or four months, and, and I figure the best thing for me to do would be to give you my testimony. So you have a little bit of an idea of how I got here and how my wife and I made it to this place after 33 years of being together. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, um, and we're going to bounce around to different scriptures, but if you want to follow along in, in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be at verse 23. But I, this morning, I want to touch base on, on a couple of different things that have happened uh, to my wife and I throughout this path and this journey. Um, uh, so we're going to start in Matthew 8, verse 23. It says, Then he got into a boat, with his and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I love his reply. You of little faith, what are you afraid? Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. Father, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. Holy Spirit, go before me, prepare the hearts and minds of the people that are here this morning to hear it hear this word. And God, I just pray you take over this service. Be in control. We love you. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So my testimony starts, it, 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 was, it was the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. I met a, a pastor, some pastor friends of mine at Applebee's for half-price appetizers. Wednesday nights were a beautiful night of the week. We would go and eat all kinds of appetizers. So we're sitting in Applebee's, and as I'm sitting there, I felt like <clears throat> I heard this pop, this odd sound in my ears, and it felt like somebody hit me in the face with a hammer. And 
I kind of stumbled my way into the bathroom and splashed some cold water on my face, and I, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I knew something was off. And I, I walked out, and I said to one of the pastor friends of mine, hey, you got to take me home. Something's wrong. Something's off. And I, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm in a lot of pain. And he goes, well, your car's out there. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I should drive right now. You should take me home. And he said, well, you want to go to the hospital? I, now, I'm a typical male. We got any of those in here? Wives, raise your hand if you, if you know that of your husband. I'm a typical male. I got to be almost dead before I'm going to go to the hospital. So I, I tell him, no, just take me home. And on our way home, we stopped at, at a gas station, and I bought a bottle of Advil, ibuprofen. And there were 32 pills in that little bottle that I bought at the gas station. And on Thanksgiving Day, I took all of them. The pain was great, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. So that Friday morning, I looked at my wife. I said, I'm going to go to the hospital. Well, right across the street from the hospital was the ear, nose, throat specialist who took my kid's tonsils out. So I parked in the parking lot, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go over here. If he's in, I'm going to ask him because this seems like a him type of question. So I went over, and, and I opened up the door to the office, and it was just him and his nurse were working just filing paperwork for day after a holiday. They weren't going to see any patients, and I talked him into seeing me. He tried to stick a scope up my nose, but there was nowhere for it to go. I had a tumor that encapsulated my entire sinus cavity. It outgrew the sinus cavity and shattered my face in the Applebee's restaurant. And the tumor then started to grow through the cracks in my cheek bone, and I had a knot that showed up on my face. I had a pair of safety glasses because I worked at Chrysler at the time, and my safety glasses rode like this because there was this knot on my so I, I, I go through a bunch of tests, and, and he orders a bunch of tests. It tells me I have polyps in my nose, and, and go rinse your nose with this, and, and, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Well, throughout that process, I had a very lengthy nosebleed where this, uh, the tumor hemorrhaged. I was in the hospital with an eight-hour nosebleed. It was ugly. It was, not, it was not good. The word home, we're waiting on the phone call from the doctor, and the, the, the phone call comes in, and it was, it was that moment that I read in Scripture. It was that moment where I felt like my wife and I were in the boat with Jesus. You ever been there? You feel like you're riding in a boat with Jesus. We're, doing, we're, we're living our lives the way Jesus wants us to live. We're doing the things. We're in, his, we're in his will. We're doing his stuff, right? So we feel like we're in the boat with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the storm hits, and the waves keep crashing, and every time the phone rings, it's more bad news. It's stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's in your head. It's in your neck. It's under your arm. It's in your abdomen. It does not look good. And I said in that moment, I'll never forget it, I, I laid down in the bed, and I put my face in the pillow, and I yelled out to God, God, don't you care? Don't you care about me? I have stuff left to do. I'm not ready to come home. You can't take me. I have kids. I got daughters. I want to walk down the aisle. I have, I want to see grandchildren. There's things I want to do, God. I'm not ready for this. And, and in that spectacular moment of me yelling at God, and the waves crashing, and every phone call from every doctor is more bad news. It just was more bad news. None of it was good. It was all bad. I was sick. I didn't feel well. It was hard. All I can tell you is in that moment, 
of chaos. In that moment of waves crashing over the side of my boat, and I cried out to God, God, don't you care? I'm drowning. Where are you? In Philippians 4, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment, I looked at my wife and I said, Honey, everything is going to be okay. And my wife looked at me and she said these words, How do you know? How do you know? And I I, I sat there and I had to look at her and I said, I don't. This very well could take my life. But I know this, my God is still in control. And this is not a surprise to him. He's not shocked by it. He's not surprised by it. It doesn't scare him. It does not bother him. He's not, he did not lose an ounce of sleep over this. He knew this day was coming. And in that moment, I knew that I had peace. A peace that just didn't make any sense. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not. Listen, fear does not come from God. That's the devil's game. God is not the author of fear. He does not want his kids to be afraid. showed you that picture of my family in the beginning. I love my children fiercely. My kids will tell you that I'm the guy you call when you need things fixed. When there's a problem, you call me, and I figure it out, and we fix it. I... I I love my kids with all of my heart, and I hate to watch them struggle. And I want them to feel a peace. My God feels no differently about me than I... Actually, He does. He feels more love for me than than I could ever feel for my kids. It's the closest thing I can get to it. It's the closest thing that I can compare. Is God's love for me and my love for my kids, because I know there's nothing I wouldn't do. I joke with my children. My children will joke with me. They say, Dad, we know you're the guy to call when we need to bury a body. Right? I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the guy you call. This I know in that moment in, in bed when I felt that incredible peace, I would love to look at you and tell you that I did not have to go through eight months of chemo, six weeks of daily radiation, two surgeries. I would like to tell you that I didn't have to do that, that in that moment, God took down a shop back and sucked the tumor out of me and it was over. I would love to tell you that, but that's not what happened. That's not how it worked. How it worked was I had to go through eight months of chemotherapy where I was sick every two hours. I lost every stitch of hair. I got out of bed in the morning and there was a shape. I'm an Italian man. I'm a hairy guy. I look like I wear a fur coat when I take my shirt off. I get out of bed, and there is an outline of Sasquatch <laughs> in my bed. I had to go to the barber and say, you got to cut this off. It's coming out in chunks. I did not have a stitch of hair. I did not have eyelashes. I did not have hair in my nose that collects dust. I did not have a single hair on my head. 
on my body. Not, not one. I was completely bald. Fascinating thing, the bar of soap goes a long way when you're completely bald and there's no hair. Right? You don't need shampoo. Shampoo? What's that? I, I got a bar of soap. I'd like to tell you that there weren't moments of sitting on the deck and screaming out to God, God, I can't do this anymore. I'd like to tell you that it wasn't hard. I'd like to tell you that God miraculously made it the easiest thing in the world. That's not the truth. The truth is I had to struggle a little bit. The truth is I had to go through some stuff that was hard. The truth is my kids today still have struggles because of being preteens and teenagers when their dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I'd like to tell you that we didn't have to go through any of that, but I will tell you this, none of us are the same. None of us are the same now. I'll tell you this too. I decided after I was told in remission, I was told you're in remission. I thought, that's awesome. That's good. But I need to know more. So I went back to school and I became a nurse. And through that process, I got a job at the Summit County Jail. Summit County is the Akron area. If you're familiar with LeBron James, that's where he grew up. So I took a job in the Summit County Jail as a nurse, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the human body and the human brain and about how things operate. And I was given the opportunity, the Summit County Sheriff came to me and said, you, you had cancer, right? And I said, yeah. The Summit County Sheriff asked me to speak to all of the Akron Public Schools about cancer. That we want you to, to talk to them about not smoking. and We want you to talk to them about the hazards of cancer and how it can affect your life. And I said, I'll do it, but only on one condition. Looked at me and I said, I got to give glory to God. I said, so if that's going to be a problem, find somebody else. had no problem with it. I had the opportunity to stand before every student in the Akron Public, there were seven schools, every student in the Akron Public School System and got to hear my testimony. Would never have happened had I not lived through what I lived through. I would have never been bold enough to say the things that I needed to say, the words that they needed to hear. To this day, I don't know what it was. Don't know which student heard it. I don't know how it affected them. I still, I don't know. But I know this, my God's in control. My God holds me right here. And everything that I live for, you ready for this? Every trial you go through is preparation. Every struggle that happens, and, and look, I, I can sit back and I can be completely honest with you and tell you, been there, done that, went through the chemo and radiation, don't ever want to do it again. I don't want to play that game again. It was not fun. I don't want to do it. But I would not go back and change it. I wouldn't go back and change it for anything because it's given me the ability and given me a boldness and given me a voice where I didn't have one before. You see, there are people that will listen to what I have to say because of my background, because of what God allowed me to walk through. The struggles, the hurts, the pains, the sorrow, all of it. He, he gave me a peace that passed all understanding. 
And my wife will tell you that she could see it in my face, that I was not afraid. So we fast forward, we go nine years. So I'm, I, I became a nurse. I've worked in the Summit County Jail. I was working in a psych ward in the Ravenna area um, and, and was running that psych ward for a minute. And, and I got sick again. And I had the lead oncologist at Akron General walked into our room and he said, you, you have cancer again. And I've already ordered the chemo drugs. Everything's laid out and ready. We just got to find it. And they started doing biopsies. And after every biopsy came back inconclusive, they won't tell you it's negative. They, won't, they will never say that to you. They'll say it's inconclusive, which means they didn't find it. And, and he came in, the lead oncologist at Akron General, he walked in, he looked at my wife and I, and he said, I don't want you guys to get your hopes up. You have cancer. I just have to find it. And in that moment, my mom, I love my mom. My mom was that mom growing up that if the church doors were open, we, she made us go. It was free babysitting. <laughs> my mom was a single mom for a while, and she had four rotten children. And, and church was a, a respite for her. So she took us to church always. I grew up in church. I grew up at the door. The, the youth pastor told my mom, if I told you we were selling snowballs at the corner of West Market Street in the middle of winter, you would have your kids there, and they would, they would be trying to sell snowballs. What he didn't realize is it was just free babysitting. Get out. But... Grew up in church. I, I I grew up hearing all of the all all of the 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 right things and 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 all of the the the, the churchies, the right things to say, the right things to be, the right things to feel, and and I started working in in the nursing field and 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 I got sick again and and my mom called and she's like, she's like, you don't have cancer, Mikey. God told me to tell you to come home. And, and I was typical me. I'm a nurse. I'm like, Ma, you know, there are certain tests that they run that tell them things. It doesn't matter what you say. You, you know, I got to listen to them. And she's like, no, Mikey, you don't have cancer. And it was right before Christmas, and they wanted to do this one biopsy where they were going to have to deflate my lung, and it was not going to be a pleasant stay, and it was going to be a couple weeks long. And Christmas was Monday, and it was Friday. And I told my wife, I said, I just want to go home for Christmas. Just let me go home for Christmas. I'll come back. I'll let them cut me open. I'll let them do whatever they got to do. But I, I just want to go home for Christmas. Now, here's the reality. I had given up. Okay, can, can I just be real with you this morning? I, I, I was going home to go ahead and die. I was like, I'm done fighting. This is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. And I walked out of that hospital and I went home. And miraculously, I was able to get in for a particular test that I couldn't get into before because, you know, they told me when I went home, call back Christmas night. Don't eat anything Christmas night. Call back, and, and we will get you scheduled for this procedure December 26th. My wife calls Christmas night, say, we're really sorry to inform you that because of the holidays, we don't have enough surgeons. So we're going to have to push your husband's procedure back to next week. So because of that, they were able to get me in for this particular PET scan that they can't do 
if you've got procedures scheduled and all of that because you're radioactive. So, but because it got pushed back, I was able to get in for this test and it came back inconclusively that I did not have cancer. But I go back into the hospital and, and, and it's because something is wrong and, and, and they can't figure it out. And timing's everything and God's timing is perfect, amen? I went back into the hospital and a student said, I, I want to check your heart. I think, I think it's your heart. And then all the other doctors were like, we've run a thousand tests, it's not his heart. It was my heart. <laughs> It was congestive heart failure that the chemotherapy had brought on. And, and, and that young doctor, timing, God's timing's perfect. He had that young doctor in the right place at the right time that had the right mindset. Diagnosed me with congestive heart failure. I'm doing wonderful now. Here's the amazing thing. Your heart does not rejuvenate itself. It does not repair itself. It's the one organ that doesn't. Once it goes south, it's south. That's it. My ejection fraction, which is the amount of percentage of blood that gets pumped out of your heart, was 18 to 20. 23% for five straight years. Every three months, I went in and had this test done, and, and for five straight years, it came back the same. The doctors told my wife and I, here's what will happen. It will slowly decline, and we will put him on a heart transplant. That's, that's the path that your husband's on. I went in <clears throat> for my last check, my ejection fraction, 47%. The doctor called me on the drive home from the test, and he said, hearts don't do that. They don't do that. I don't know how you're, whatever you're doing. And the reality is I wasn't doing anything different. I've, I've done the same thing. I've been on the same medication regimen for five years. I've, I've exercised the same amount. I have not changed a thing. You know what changed? God decided my heart needed to be a little bit better. So as, 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 as this process has gone on, the one thing that I've, I've, I've learned and that I've seen over and over and over again, time after time after time, is that, that at every corner, and I look back and I say, okay, I'm sitting out on the back porch, and I had a little fire pit, had a little deck, and when I had cancer, I would sit out there because it's easier to throw up outside than it is to throw up indoors. And I would sit out on the deck, and there are moments there were moments where it was really hard. There were moments where I was down, where I was tired, where I didn't feel like I had it. And the one constant reminder that I got through this entire process is you don't have to. I don't expect you to. I expect you to be weak. I expect you to fail. I expect you to fall. I expect this thing to be hard. I expect it. Is God happy when we fall on our faces? No, but it's a reality. It's a reality that we have to live with. It's a reality that we have to stay with. And here's the, here's the real thing. In, uh, in those moments where the waves are crashing over the side of the boat, and, and I'm screaming out to, to Jesus, and, and he's saying, where's your faith? I'm like, it's what I see. My faith is in what I hear and what I see. The doctors say, this is what's next. My faith is in believing what I'm seeing. And church, that's not, that's not what God has for us. God says you don't have to be strong enough to do anything. You just have to understand that you are weak.
The Bible says in our weakness, he is strong. The Bible tells us that God knows our pain. He knows because when he sent Jesus, his son, to this earth, and Jesus lived and walked amongst us, he was all man. He was 100% man. He was all man. He, was, he, 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 he felt. He got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and stubbed his pinky toe. You ever done that? I see a couple of people with a smile on their face because I know that you know what I'm talking about. It's the most painful thing on the earth is to stub your pinky toe. It's the smallest little thing, and it hits the corner of something, and everybody in here just went like that because you know what I'm talking about. Jesus, that happened to him. He felt everything that it felt to be human. To understand, to look, and to see, and to, uh, to, to understand that, that, that this is coming. And somehow, we as believers have convinced ourselves that we have to do something. We have to, we, I have to do this, or I have to do that, or God won't. You're, you're putting too much faith in you. Amen? Hear me when I tell you, there were two people on earth, Adam and Eve. That's it. Those two people had one rule. One. Don't eat of this fruit. Now, if it were me and my wife living there, I would have told my wife, we're going to build our house at the other end away from that tree. I don't even want to see that tree. I don't want to be tempted by that tree. I don't care about that tree. Burn it. Cut it down. I don't want to see it. I don't want this to be a problem. And I think to myself, I could have done it. And then I look in the mirror and I realize I can't turn down a Twinkie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 look, the, the reality is these two people had one rule. And one of them didn't fail. Both of them did. I don't have a lot of faith in myself. What I do have faith in is the God that walks with me and talks with me and dines with me and steps with me in every place I ever go. He walked with me through this journey. My wife and I, at the time of cancer, we lived in this house. And, and, and if you came down the house, came down the steps, there was a landing, four-foot wall that wrapped around. And if you stepped on this side, you could look down into the kitchen. If you stepped up front, you could look down into the living room. And if you stepped off to this side, you could look down into the hall. You could see three quarters of the downstairs from this spot. And my wife would tell the kids, it's time to clean up. Now, I don't know if you all have kids, but kids in inherently don't like cleaning up. Okay, they just, they'd rather do anything else. So my kids got really good at hiding things, kicking things under there, right? Finding, who in here remembers DVD players? American cheese in the DVD player. Mm -hmm. uh, grilled cheese in the VCR, if you go back that far, okay? 
uh, yeah, my, my kids were gifted at stuffing things in places so that, because in their mind, out of sight, out of mind, it, it's easier for me to shove this into the DVD player than it is to walk 10 feet and put it in the garbage. It doesn't make sense to me. My kids drive me nuts. But my wife got to the point where when she would tell them to clean, she would go stand in that spot. And she would say, nope, you missed it. Nope, pick that up. There's something under the couch over there. Well, I can't see it. Well, I can. See, sometimes we as people, we're here on this earth, and all we can see is what's in front of us. And, and, and sometimes we need God's point of view. Because he sees tomorrow. He said, God knew that I needed to, what I needed to make me able to do this today be here with you. I wouldn't be here had I not lived through this, had I not been through all of this. There's a saying, I can't see the forest for the trees. Have you ever heard that saying? I, you can pull up that last slide. I've got a, a slide of just trees, and it, it's the top of a woman's head in, in, in that picture. But that, to me, is exactly life on earth. We can only see what's right in front of us. Can't see what's behind the trees, around the trees. You can't see what's coming. It's all a secret. It's all a surprise. Tomorrow is a surprise. Every morning you wake up, it's a surprise. Sometimes we get in this place where we can't see, and we only believe what we see in front of us. Church, let me tell you something. God has a greater plan. He has a greater plan for you, but that might require something of you. That might require you to become something different. That's the, the, the one thing I can tell you as a teenager, I did not change much into young adulthood. I went to Evangel College and played football. I was an offensive lineman. I weighed 300 pounds, 311 pounds. I was a big guy. Was strong as a bull, stupid as a rock. That's what my mom used to tell people. He's strong as a bull, but dumb as a rock. Can't take him into stores because he'll break stuff. I was clumsy. They called me George of the Jungle. You remember that cartoon? George, George, Georgia of the Jungle. Watch out for that tree. I ran into everything. I, I was a klutz. I was a clumsy big oaf. I, I just was. And I got into football because they actually cheered for me when I hit people. I was like, this is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. And I got into sports, and, and, and I went to Evangel and, and played football, and, 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 and I, 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 was, I was a force to be reckoned with. Somebody needed to move a piano, they called me. Somebody needed, I got phone calls from people I did not know. Hey, can you do me a favor? We're moving, and I need help picking this up, and I understand you and your friends will. Sure. I was the guy in high school that we picked up the teacher's car and put it in the gymnasium. Well, Fierro, if you remember those. I, I was strong as a bull. I could pick anything up. I, I, I was really athletic. There wasn't anything I couldn't do. Um, and then life happens. And, and, and you realize, wow, I'm not that person anymore. They, they don't call me when they need to move a refrigerator now. They don't. They don't, hey, let's call Mike Giacomo. We got this heavy piano to move. They don't call me. They call my son. You know, they, they, it, life changes, and your body changes, and things happen. And, and, and I had to, quote, unquote, reinvent myself because I wasn't strong as a bull anymore. 
So I wasn't allowed to be stupid as a rock. You know, it's like you got to figure things out. And God knows that. And God will allow life to happen to get you to where he wants you to be, where he needs you to be. And every day you wake up, you open your eyes, thank Jesus, because he's giving you another opportunity to impact this world for his kingdom. I did a lesson years back. How many hours a day we spend on this earth, for this earth, for no other reason. Money, time, all these things. We do all these things for this earth. How much time? Do we even give 10% of our time to God? I remember being a teenager and really struggling to read the Bible. Hard. I remember talking to the pastor and I was like, Pastor Medor, and I, I remember saying to him, really hard. I try to read before bed, and, and it just puts me to sleep. I get, I get a paragraph in, and then I'm asleep. It's really boring. He goes, then you're not understanding what you're reading. He said, do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the Word every time before you open it. Every time before you open it, because God has something to say to you. God has more for you than what you have right now. God has a plan and a purpose for your life that is so perfect and so incredible and laid out in such a way. Sometimes we lose sight of it because we can't see it through the trees. We can't see the reality of what God is trying to do because of the mess of this life. I can tell you right now, 2020 brought a whole new spin on life, right? That awful C word brought some craziness to this world, boy. It, it, it really did. It, it, it changed things. What do you see? You see what God sees? Or are you stuck staring at dense trees and can't see around it? And sometimes that can get disheartening. And I don't want you to be disheartened this morning. I don't want you to be disheartened. I want you to know that, that the struggles that we go through on this earth, God can use for his good. The Bible tells me every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. Everything good. Not some things good. Who in here, what's your favorite food? Amen. Amen, my brother. Where you get it? I love the way this guy thinks. I love it. Pizza's good, right? It doesn't matter where you get it. It's pizza, right? It's pizza. I mean, have you ever had a bad pizza? I have. I've had. And I'm not going to say the name of the place, but it's it's got to be frozen. It's terrible. Did I still buy it and eat it? I sure did. God knows all of these things about us. And he knows that sometimes in this life, we're going to want a good pizza. And sometimes in this life, he's going to say no. He's going to say, because there's a person at this pizza shop that I need you to pray with. And I know their pizza's terrible, but you're going to go there anyway. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you ready? The next time you go out to eat, when you sit down and the server comes over and takes your order and they bring your food 
and they set it down at the table. I want you to stop the waiter or waitress. I want you to tell them, we're getting ready to pray over our food. I would really like to pray for you. Is there anything on your mind that you would like to pray about? I've done this multiple times, and I can be completely upfront and honest with you and tell you that no one's ever said no thank you. Ever. Sometimes we get stuck looking at the dense trees, and we can't see what God's plan is. Sometimes what we're going through in this life is so hard that we can't see the good in it. I can be honest and tell you that being sick is not fun. It's not a good time. That's a year of my life that, mm, if I ever wanted to give one away, that's the one. And in those moments, I can promise you that if you were to ask me what's God's plan and purpose for your life, I could tell you nothing. I'd be like, I don't know. This is really hard, though. And sometimes in those moments, we just have to have faith in what we cannot see. We just have to have faith and believe in what we can't see because God's plan is perfect. Worship songs we sang this morning, God's plan is perfect. He's not losing. There is no losing. God doesn't lose. Let me, let, 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 let me make you understand something. My diagnosis with cancer, God did not lose. I lost my stepfather two years ago to prostate cancer. God did not lose. I lost my brother last year. Way too young. God did not lose. We feel like because we can't see Tomorrow, we feel like these are losses because the world, there, you, there's nothing you could say to me. The world was a better place with my stepfather in it. Al was the type of guy, he was a heat, heating and air conditioning guy, and we were at this house. I went with him to help him, and, and we're at this house, and there's a young man that was there working on something else. And I'm finishing up the furnace, and I'm, Al's nowhere to be found. I'm like, so I'm carrying tools out, wondering where he is, because I don't want to carry his share, right? So I'm carrying the tools up with the steps, and I walk out the door, and there he is, standing in the road with his arms around this young man, praying for him in the street. The world was a better place with him in it. But I don't know God's plan. As he can see tomorrow, I can't. Understand this. If I want you to walk away from anything today, it's this. It, it's our plan may not look like God's. Just because things get hard doesn't mean you're not in his will. The disciples were still in Jesus' boat. Remember that. They thought they were doing everything right with the master. He says, get in the boat. They followed him. It wasn't their idea to get in the boat. It's Jesus' idea to get in the boat. How could you think you could go wrong? I would follow that man blindly. Just let's go, God. Let's do it. I say that 
Do I? Do I allow the world and life and the trees of life to get in my way of the vision of what God has for each and every one of you this morning? God has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose for you. This life on earth will not be perfect. But he has a perfect plan for you. God has called all of us. And someday he will call us home. Someday, he will wrap us in his arms. My stepfather, when he passed away, he told me day in and day out, he said, my Adonai is going to come for you. He had a picture on his wall, wrapped in lights, picture of Jesus. What we think Jesus looked like, I don't know. Apparently, they didn't have Polaroids or iPhones back then, so... You don't have a real photo, but a picture of what he thought Jesus looked like. And every day he would walk out of his bedroom and he would turn down the hall and there was that lit picture of Jesus. And he told me at the end, I would have to go help him get out of bed and things of that nature. And, and I'm helping him walk down the hall. And he walked around the corner and he got a tear in his eye. I said, you okay? And he goes, I can't wait to see my Adonai. The morning my mother called me and said that he had passed away in his sleep. She told me to come. My wife and I got in the car. We drove over there. I walked in, down the hall, into his bedroom. My stepfather was laying on his back. He had one foot off the bed. His head was facing the door like somebody came in the door, and he was getting out of bed to meet them. And he had the most peaceful look on his face. His Adonai came to get him and take him home. There's going to come a day for every one of us where our Adonai is going to come take us home. But until then, I dare you to fight, scratch, claw, ignore the trees, and know that God has a perfect plan for you, as he does all of us. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to do, he, he wants great things for you. Sometimes it might not look like what I think it should. Right? I were to plan out my life, cancer and heart failure would not be in the picture. I am glad that I don't make that plan. I'm glad my Savior does, and I can lean on him and his understanding. Amen? Stand with me this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, God, and we want to thank you. We want to thank you for all the amazing things you've done for us. We want to thank you for the love. God, I thank you that you've given me kids so that I might understand your love for me a little better. God, I pray for each and every person in this room this morning that they are reminded that you do have a perfect plan for them. It might involve some difficulties along the way on this, in this life. But God, you have a perfect plan for each and every one of us. And you want to see us succeed. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. 
God, we thank you for the things that you've done for us yesterday and in the past. God, I thank you for what you're doing this morning, right now. And God, I want to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for the things that you're going to do tomorrow and in the future and the plans that you have for us that are perfectly made for us. And that God, someday when you call us home, we will hear those beautiful words, well done. Well done. But until then, God, give us the strength. Give us your wisdom. Give us your power. Because we can't do this by ourselves. And you never asked us to. You never expected us to. You never wanted us to. Sometimes we don't have the answers because we're not supposed to. Because we're supposed to lean on you. Help us to lean in this morning, God, and to lean on you more. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Church, I, 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 I say this in all truth. You are loved. God loves you. I love you. In the next several months... Let's see how much we can grow together. Let's see how much we can change together. Because that's the end goal, amen? The end goal is not be the same person I am today. The end goal is to, to accept change the way God intended. And to accept us and accept his people and his children and love like he does. Can we do that? I'm going to pray, pray a blessing over you this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on this congregation. I pray as they go, they will feel your presence throughout this week. God, they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in control. And that gives us peace. We love you. We give you all the praise and the glory. Keep us safe. Keep us close to you. Remind us to say good morning every morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you, church.